2: Hey guys, welcome to another very special podcast because today you don't get big cheese. That's right, you get larger, slightly smellier cheese. Me, Nathan. That's right, so my dad Roman is out on a press trip driving the new Lexus LX. So instead, you get myself, Tommy, and Nathan. And what are we talking about today? Underappreciated vehicles. Some that might. N- rightfully be underappreciated and others that perhaps truly are underappreciated. Yeah, so I put together a list. Nathan is going to agree or disagree with me, but these are vehicles from recent past that didn't get a lot of respect, were not very popular when they were new, but are actually insanely good vehicles to buy used or in some cases new. That's correct, but before we go there, we wanted to say thank you very much to Patreon support, because you guys are awesome. Yeah. In case you haven't noticed, we don't have um, crazy ad breaks in this podcast. So, That is in a huge part to our Patreon supporters. So if you want to help us out, check us out on Patreon in the link below. And Nathan, should we get to the list? Yes, absolutely. All right, so going in alphabetical order, we've got a whole bunch of brands. I know I've missed a few brands because I couldn't think of some cars, but maybe Nathan can help me out. So (laughs) first up, starting with the A's. This is a car that was much, um, probably disliked when it was new and is still arguably disliked by a lot today, but the Acura, ZDX. What am I talking
3: about? He's talking about a vehicle that essentially is a smaller version of an MDX that was built specifically to hold kind of sort of five people, but because it is such a genius job with slicing the back off and making it a fastback design, people in the backseat have to lean forward if they're over, say, five foot seven. Now, there's something very interesting about this car, Tommy, and it has to do with you and, more importantly, your father.
2: Oh, geez. What did I do? You're related to the man who actually loved it.
3: I know. Your dad loved this thing and I don't get, I honestly do not get it, he wanted one.
2: All right, I agree, so hear me out on this one, because I, for some reason, love it too. So nowadays it's like become such a cliche where every car company has to have an SUV Mm -hmm. and then they chop the butt off and they make a coupe SUV. Every car company has done that. Right, and now you're like, oh, I'm just sick of it and they're less practical, and for the most part, I agree. Yeah. But the ZDX was, in my opinion, one of the very first cars ever to do this trend and I think to do it well so like you mentioned like an MDX very similar to an MDX Mm -hmm. but it's got some incredible almost concept car proportions and I just think it's beautiful especially from the back this was a really really cool design and Nathan you noticed something really interesting about it yes
3: I did before we went on now for those of you who are able to see this you can see that the image is right over Tommy's shoulder if you're listening to the podcast the ZDX has a very unique design, but one that's actually kind of familiar. For those of you who do not know, or for those of you who perhaps do know, Acura recently reintroduced the Integra. And the Integra is a fastback design. And if you look at that Integra and you look at the ZDX, you may notice something. They're almost identical, with the exception of the fact that the ZDX is higher off the ground and has a slightly taller body. The design, the roof line is like really, really close. Even the rear end design, surprisingly close to the point where you're like, bro, this design is like what? Almost 10 years old, right? Yeah. The CDX. And they're doing the same thing again. And the funny part is, on a car, a regular car, I don't really mind this type of five-spec design. It, you know, I get it. It's for aerodynamics and it looks sleek and blah, blah, blah. Audi does it well. But mm, when you do it to an SUV, especially one that when you're sitting in the back seat and this happened at the auto show Tommy when we were there I was sitting behind Roman in this vehicle with the person from Audi there and she said it's a very roomy vehicle and I'm shorter than Roman and I was leaning forward because my head hit the roof it's not a design that's very logical it makes no sense to anybody who wants to own one and most importantly
2: they didn't sell any yeah okay so the, yeah, the ZDX was kind of a sales failure, Yes, and you are a thousand percent right, it's not practical. Yes. Uh, you are also, I cannot believe that you notice this, but I'm just looking at a picture of the rear of the brand new um, Integra, and it looks identical. <laughs> Am I right? Like the C-pillar design is the same, <laughs> the basic taillight architecture yeah. is the same, that's crazy. It's just a little lower than yeah, the ZDX. Exactly, exactly, it's nuts. So Nathan. It's time for you to decide. ZDX, Mm. underappreciated, good or underappreciated, it deserves to remain so. It deserves to remain so. Uh, It sounds like an Italian dish that should be forgotten. All right, well, I lost that one. But it's time to move on to the next brand, moving away from the A's Mm. into the B's. The BMW, in this case, Mm. and I think this is a really good car, which not a lot of people bought for a lot of reasons, but the BMW i3. Ah, I have a very different opinion about the i3. OK, so oh. let me let me make my argument for okay. it first. Now, yeah, please. globally, they actually did sell quite a few of these. Um, and in the US, it did OK. But the i3 was a ground-up electric vehicle that launched for the 2014 model year. So mm-hmm. it was very space-age stuff in 2014. It had like a carbon a monocoque design. It, it didn't have a traditional steel or aluminum body structure. It was very ingenious in its powertrain. So it was an electric model, which only did like 80 miles at the Roughly, yeah. And then kind of grew eventually to 120 and then 150 miles. But the range extender was a super smart idea. It's Mm -hmm. got a little motorcycle engine in it. The interior design has all these floating elements with this funky steering wheel. And yes, when it was new, like $50,000, way overpriced. Nowadays, they're like $15,000, $16,000. Andre has one. Yes. And I think that it was an extremely undervalued and underappreciated car um, in today's market. Now, what's your thought about it? I completely agree with you. 100%. Wow. As weird as it looks and it does look really weird it is a futuristic
3: vehicle in every sense of the word because it was as he said ground up built for Being an electric vehicle, being efficient and still a BMW, it's actually fun to drive. And that's one of the reasons why I liked them. It was one of the first vehicles that really gave me the feeling of one-pedal driving, which I love doing. Mm. But very few vehicles really do it right. This one did it right, even though it has narrow wheels. The wheels, seriously, there are motorcycles, regular (laughs) motorcycles with wider wheels. But there's a point to this and that is for efficiency and they still… I drove one in the snow and it did okay, it was a sport model. couple things. I really do wish they had a little bit more, um, I think it's about a two gallon tank for the fuel. Yeah, hopefully. it's tiny. It's tiny and the whole point is is that it charges up the battery and it, it really does work as just a generator, right? I wish that was a little bit larger or the battery was a little bit larger, right. one way or the other. I think it would be a fantastic electric car if it could do 250-300 miles. Yeah. But there's just no room for it. When they built that vehicle, they were constrained by the fact that they needed a light platform, one that uh, didn't really have the space for batteries, so it's kind of a trade-off. So I wish they built a slightly larger version of that, just a slightly larger version. One final thing, Um, actually relatively comfortable for four people. Uh, Unfortunately, it's a clamshell style door in the back, so your kids cannot hop out until you let them out, which is awesome for some parents, but you can't hold a fifth person in the back seat. That's another issue. Great point. Yeah, but other than that, what? it's such a smart unique design and they're safe by the way you should look at their safety scores they're quite good yeah really interesting car i agree with tommy on this one
2: uh and the great thing is nowadays you can pick them up for like like i said 15 16 grand and they were 50
3: grand a few years yes ago? yes easily and and they're still selling them i believe or they just, they maybe they just, just stopped. stopped okay yeah. they just stopped for 22. so uh a year uh, oh two years ago i was cross shopping believe it or not one of those with my daughter's car and she has a nissan leaf oh. and she had the one with the larger battery so a 30 kilowatt hour battery and honestly there was like mm, about a two thousand dollar difference and really the only thing that stopped me was the fact that the LEAF had a little bit more usable cargo space yeah, and it was just a little bit cheaper. Four so, doors, yeah, yeah. And proper four doors. The
2: I3, it's funny you bring up the gas tank. So they, they kind of had a snafu with the EPA and the I3. So they had a two gallon, I think it was, gas tank installed, mm-hmm. but They realized when they were certifying with the EPA, in order for it to be considered a battery electric vehicle with the range extender, it had to go further on electricity than gasoline. Otherwise, it would just be a standard plug in hybrid. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so the the solution was to software limit how much gas you could use. So, when the car ran out of gas, it still really had like half a gallon left. (laughs) But because they wanted that EPA certification for a battery electric, they didn't give you access to the full battery or the full tank. So, what you can do now now in the aftermarket is you buy a thing, you plug in the OBD, Andre did this, we did a little video on it, and you can unlock that other half gallon. But- I mean, it helps with range, right? To this day in the US, it's the only ever range extender sold. I mean, not a plug-in hybrid, but just a little tiny 30 horsepower motorcycle engine to get you to the charger.
3: Now Mazda was about to introduce it yes. and they fell on their face and they have a vehicle now that has no range. and yeah, X
2: 30, yeah. Yeah,
3: but, but I hear that the the range extender is coming soon. and It's gonna be a rotary one. and I'm really looking forward to that because I actually really dig rotary design. So let's move on.
2: Yeah, so next up, Continuing with the B's, and I think you're going to agree with me on this one. You spent a lot of time in this car when it was new. Mm. The Buick Regal GS. Love that car. And you could get a
3: manual transmission with it, too. Could you? Yes. Yeah. There were a lot of, actually, the Buick Regal GS is really underrated. Now, I know it is based on a uh, Opal design. Essentially, it's just rebadged. But it did so many things well. First of all, power was extraordinary for a car in its class. Uh, there was an all-wheel drive. Um... Roman and I actually went to Canada, mm. and we drove an all-wheel drive one on the ice, and actually had a really good time doing that. I don't know if you remember that video, Tommy. I do. I was pretty young, but yeah. Was that Montreal? I think it was Montreal, and uh, we 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 had a blast. Um, very solid car, crap back seat. The okay. worst part about it. I mean, such a great car. I was so I loved it, and. Uh, I really loved driving the manual I mean it wasn't perfect, but it was just it was so much fun. And then all of a sudden you know you try to put people in the back and back then, um, my sister who's five one and change and probably I don't know a buck 20 soaking wet, she was uncomfortable in the back seat and it's just like this car is so great it had but they just didn't design the back seat right not for a buick
2: now if we look at the gs the first generation which launched at the 2010 auto show Mm -hmm. um it had like 270 horsepower which is i mean it's a lot of power it is 295 pound-feet of torque as well all-wheel drive i think too isn't it all-wheel drive drive was was so
3: you could get the manual front wheel drive i believe and then all-wheel drive was with the automatic transmission interesting but and they both they were both brilliant and then they had the uh, the front end design was actually very unique they actually had and I don't remember the name of it it was like active strut or something like that where it really did an excellent job keeping the front end super super planted and back in the days when Buick actually built cars that was a really fun car to drive. Now, if they were able to get away with that much power and performance and make it as long as, say, the Saber or something like that, I'm just throwing a name from the past out there, so your back passengers could actually be comfortable, they would sell more of those. The Buick Regal had a variety of different types of spinoffs, and they were all brilliant. But they all suffered from one of the big issues of not enough backseat room.
2: Now, there was, of course, uh, a a sixth. It was technically the sixth generation of Regal, which came out, I think, in 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to give an honorary mention to one other Buick, and I don't know if you'll agree with me on this one. But you remember there was uh, one with Angry Bird taillights called the Verano? It had, like, these angry taillights but it was a little baby Buick sedan. Oh, that was based on the Chevy Cruze, wasn't it? I could have been, I'm not quite sure. That's the little four-cylinder? Yeah,
3: turbo, but a manual transmission. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, that, That, I believe, was based on the Chevy Cruze platform. So that was their little one, and it only lasted a few years. Um, that is a worthy,
2: honorable mention. I would imagine that right now they're super dirt cheap. I bet so, yeah. yeah. And the, the Regal, like you said, based on the Opel insignia, this was like the start of the Opel Buick deal where a Buick started rebranding Opels. But do you agree with me, Regal? Good, yes, good, underappreciated. Yeah, yeah,
3: really, really good car, if you don't
2: mind a small backseat. All right, let's move on to the next brand. I've got Cadillac on the list. And I have two, and I don't know how you feel about these. Mm. So the first choice, the CTS-V Wagon. Oh, oh, yes.
3: There's a funny joke about the CTSV wagon. Um, A lot of people out there um, don't realize that journalists have really bad taste in cars sometimes. (laughs) And the, the funny thing is, is that they say that all the CTSV wagons manuals, which you could get a manual version of it, were sold to journalists, all of them brown. Yeah, that's uh, funny. Or something, you know what I mean? Something along <laughs> yeah, those yeah. lines. And you know, I hate to admit it, but I was one of those journalists who was seriously thinking about it. I tried to convince my wife, this is before we had to buy a house, honey, we can afford one of these. I think it had 556 horsepower. Oh, it was, cra- it was crazy at the yeah, time, yeah. Yeah. And uh, even by today's standards, this thing ripped. It sounded like a P51 Mustang on the outside. It, the, the volume on the inside wasn't great, but um, it did a lot of things really well in terms of performance, and yet it had the utility of a wagon. Americans don't like wagons. I can't help that. I've tried. You know I've tried. I've tried to convince You've them tried. that wagons are a great thing to get. And we, we had, a, at the time, a baby. Your dad and I went to Leadville in one. Okay. And we did a great video. This is one of our early day TFL videos. And, um, anyway, I brought it home, and I opened the trunk up, and my wife's like, well, let's put the stroller in there, put the stroller in there, it was great. Let's put a bike in there, I threw a bike in there. You know, everything was a piece of cake, everything fit in there. And then we get into the car, and I start driving, I go onto the highway, and then I let it rip, and my wife's like, (laughs) no, you're not getting this. And it was like, uh, yeah, okay, I get it, honey. And not only that, I think I was, like, averaging 11 miles per gallon. Wow. Um, Really, yes. Yeah, Tommy, I would agree with you. The, The CTSV wagon is just... A home run. It's such a shame that it didn't stick around.
2: They did it with an automatic and a manual. And I was yeah. reading somewhere that the production numbers on the manual were like, they built 500 of them. Yeah, that's about a right. Tiny number.
3: Yeah, it's, it's mini. For GM, that's absolutely tiny. But bear in mind that, you know, almost every automotive journalist who drove one of these absolutely lauded it and for good reason.
2: Yeah, a 6.2 liter supercharged V8, as we discussed. Yeah. Um, they actually, I don't know if underappreciated is the right word. I'm just looking at like, bring a trailer, the prices. Huh? One sold um, a few days ago $58,000 with 104,000 miles did you say 58,000 yeah and they were probably what 65 70 yeah, give or new? take yeah Oh yeah. wow. apparently that is... they didn't appreciate
3: much no good for Cadillac and, and they held together and you know what I mean you really have a solid running gear with that vehicle too good brakes even though it was pretty heavy I think they weighed like 5,000 pounds or something like that
2: so remember in this era they had the wagon they mm-hmm. had the sedan yes. and then they had that like funky coupe Yes, I do. Which one would you get? Oh, the wagon. The wagon? The wagon. Even,
3: you know, I don't really have kids to, to, to you know, tr- they can do it on their own, and I really don't need a wagon, but I like a wagon. Yeah. And it just, uh, what a great car that is. And it's so under the, the, unless you really know what you're looking at, you wouldn't know what you're looking at. And
2: that's I, why I think it's underappreciated, yeah, right? Like, yeah. you really have to be in the car community to kind of understand what the significance of the CTSV wagon I'm is. I'm
3: curious if you'll bring up its distant competitor later on all right all right yeah, so yeah. i've
2: got one more cadillac and mm. so i think we agree on the ctsv i'm not sure you're going to agree with me on this one this was don't okay. say the elr it's the elr Dammit, no <laughs> Got you and your dad with your crazy desires and uh, I don't understand it. It's the ELR. So this was a weird thing. So remember the Chevy Volt, which was a plug in hybrid? I do indeed. They took the Volt, they chopped off the back doors. <laughs> they give it some insane styling doors that were seriously longer than like the state of Nebraska. Yeah, there's some of the largest doors in, in it's not only the segment, but out there period for a two door was ridiculous. Insanely long doors. And then they slapped a price tag of like 90 grand on <laughs> this. A- ridiculous but they didn't change
3: the powertrain i mean essentially it was the same powertrain so essentially what you were getting is a two-door chevy bolt with a nicer interior i gotta admit actually pretty decent looking on the outside they styled it nicely it was very cool looking yeah it was it was unique you know this is around the same time that cadillac brought in temporarily a new i don't know if it was a president or a president of pr who said cadillac's no longer building cars we're building products okay and that was like (laughs) the worst possible thing you could say to car people because it's exactly the opposite. Car- Cadillac is supposed to be one of the, the premier American, you know, uh, coach builders and whatnot. So this car came out, and um, I went to a, a, not not the actual event, but like a premiere. So you know, I pulled the thing off, and at first I'm like, oh, hey, this is a really good looking car. Look at those big doors. It's like an old T Bird, and I started asking him about, you know, okay, so. Would you got supercharge it or something like that? Because I know it's got you know Chevy Volt. Yeah. No, no, it didn't supercharge. It. Um, <laughs> so you got an extra electric motor in the back? Uh, no, it doesn't have it. It's, um, bigger battery? No, it doesn't. It's, what the hell? So I was really losing my cool. And
2: I'm like, all right, fine. Uh, I, did your dad actually drive one? Yeah, we okay. we've actually reviewed it a few times. We had one in Florida. Um, perfect place for it yeah but i just i love the design i mean you're right from a from a tech and kind of performance standpoint i think it had 230 horsepower for like 70 grand yeah only 39 miles of range but it looked like the future it had a beautiful interior and you remember it got to the point where like i think it was discontinued sometime around 2016 and i mean dealers could not sell it they like I, one of our buddies in the industry, you know, Tom Volk, with driven car. Vies? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, of he bought one new, and he got like twenty, thirty, thirty-five thousand dollars off sticker because they just like the dealer. was Like, I don't know what to do with this. Oh,
3: the goal of days nowadays, if you still had one on your lot, you could sell it for two hundred grand. Is want to buy it? Um, so I, I get it what you're saying in terms of the physical design of the vehicle, but the point is, is that in terms of uh, name badge swapping and the fact that underneath it is essentially a $35,000 car. Yeah. I absolutely disagree. All it's right. it's it. No, no right. way no.
2: Nowadays it's like a $25,000 car. So <laughs> it's, it's a, all right, so I got a yes on the CTSV and no on the ELR. Yeah, No on the ELR. All right. So you're probably going to have a similar reaction to our next brand, Chevrolet. Mm. First up is the SS.
3: Wow. Um, so SS, I actually went to that event when they in, had the SS uh, turbo
2: well Over. i'm thinking ss as in i think you drove this one too but the 6.2 liter v8 sedan oh you're talking about that ss yeah i thought
3: you were talking about the panel wagon oh looking, no, not the hhr hhr i don't know why i was thinking ss with that because the ss is the no this was this was a yeah.
2: holden uh, commodore in yeah. australia mm.
3: you know uh for one thing um real shame that Chevrolet completely fell out of love with that vehicle right when it was introduced in the United States. Because it essentially was a, the, how do I put it? It was the spiritual successor for the actual Impala with rear drive. Yeah, I think that's a, a good way to look at it. With a proper powertrain. Uh, we drove a few of them. Uh, they were really good, like really solid. 415 and horsepower? Yeah, really? I mean, plenty of power, really good handling. Kind of like a big BMW, kind of kind of 5 Series-ish. But at the same time, you know, not the most sophisticated interior, but there was nothing wrong with it. It was it would have been fine for most Americans. But how many commercials did you see with that? Or how many <laughs> banners or anything else? Chevrolet absolutely did not want to spend a dime on uh, getting the word out on this vehicle. Mm. No advertising whatsoever. And that was an issue. And then the other issue was Pontiac G8. And oh. I don't know if that's on your list or not. No, it isn't, but uh, that's a good one. So that was its cousin. And they had the GXP version. And that GXP was a dream car. It was fabulous. It was also the only vehicle you could get in that class that had the manual transmission in terms of Pontiac. Um, And it was just a beast. And it was also based on a Holden platform. And unfortunately, it just didn't sell. And it just, the timing was all wrong. And not to mention the fact that Pontiac shortly thereafter fell uh, off the face of the earth. (laughs) Uh, So it was a real shame. So this vehicle, it's kind of a sad song. Yeah. Um, I've seen people selling them for stupid money, okay, because they're so rare. Um, and then I've also seen police departments take the lesser versions of those and actually make them into police uh, vehicles.
2: Yeah, because there was that police only. It was like the Caprice PPV, or they had yeah, some funny name for it. But it
3: essentially was the same vehicle, but just it wasn't with the big engine, and it was fairly good. But it didn't have the flexible platform that like the the equivalent Dodge or whatever would have because. I, as far as I know, there was never an all-wheel drive version of them. Uh, at least here in the States, there was never a wagon version. They had a ute version overseas. We never got that. Yeah, so
2: true.
3: You know, it, it was kind of, I agree with you in terms of it's something that, how do I put it? It's a, it, was a, it was a shame. That's it. It was a shame. It never lived up to its potential, not because it didn't have potential, but because its owners didn't feel like it had the potential.
2: I think it was also just confusing in the U.S. because we had like the Camaro, which mm-hmm. everybody knew. We had the Corvette, which everybody knew. And then there was this own standalone model, which was like an, an imported um, Australian car. With but they hid it in the
3: corner of the room, yeah. and so you never really knew what it was. If they said it was a four-door Camaro, whoa, you know, yeah. had they styled it a little bit more aggressively, it was kind of boring to look at that would have helped too. But I do agree with you that it's something, it's kind of rare, and it's one of those things that may actually may be a collector's car in the future.
2: I think you're right. So you agree with me on the SS. Yes. Next up Chevrolet, I don't think you're gonna agree with me on, but I think the Volt, the very first Volt was a very revolutionary car. Believe it or not, if you look at the reliability reports on the first-gen Volt, the batteries are extremely Mm long-lived. This was, of course, Bob Lutz's baby. This was like his um, ultimate dream for America, was to have a car that could go about 40 miles on a charge and then still have a gas engine um, for when you ran out of battery. But I thought the first-gen Volt was cool-looking. It had a crazy interior with this white floating uh, center uh, instrument cluster and pretty undervalued.
3: Yeah, I can't agree with you, really. All right. I don't dislike the car. Baron, my my, my brother uh, has a second-generation uh, Volt, and it um, was a pretty interesting car. Hmm. Still is. They're still driving the hell out of it, and uh, it, it it does well. It's actually fairly reliable, but there are little glitches here and there. One of the issues I have is the design of that. The original uh, Volt was really built for four people. Right. They kind of sort of had this little center component where a butt could fit, but the human cannot. Um, <laughs> it didn't have a lot of cargo capacity. It was supposed to be all things to all people. Um, I drove one up and over the pass and I was going towards um, Glenwood Springs and I it, it did not like driving up and over the hills. Once it started running out of juice and it was having to rely on its gas engine. It did not enjoy going over those hills. It lost a lot of power. The performance was never particularly good, but the second generation did a much better job going up and over the hills and it was better power management. So it's a good car, but it's honestly one that they should have continuously improved on. The fact that it's gone is a real issue, because I do think that hybrids have a place in society and should remain but General Motors apparently doesn't think so.
2: I just thought it was, I mean, it was pretty ahead of its time. At the time, yeah. It should have been the car that everybody wanted because I mean, it it would save you so much money over the long run for just commuting, right? 30 miles doesn't sound like a lot, whatever it was, 35. But I think for most people that would be plenty for a lot of folks commutes. I do agree that, I mean, yeah, practicality wise, it was not great. Um, The four seater was a bad call. But I do think that they are worth considering now as a used vehicle. So I got a yes on the SS, a no on the Volts. a no on the Volts. It, it's it's a good car though. Don't take, don't get me wrong. It's just it's I
3: don't really think it really belongs on this list. All right, so there it is.
2: Next up, going to Chrysler. I've got the three hundred SRT eight. Interesting that you mentioned that because I was wondering
3: if you're going to mention one of its cousins. Um, your dad and I went and drove one on the track, and. <laughs> it's kind of a pig, but it's a lovable pig. <laughs> it is it, it's oh, so friend heavy and it's just it's just a really big heavy car with a really big heavy engine that can move. But it really doesn't like going around corners. It wasn't much of a luxury car, but man, is it a gangster car.
2: Yeah, uh, so they did two, right? They did the first one and the second one. And I think the first one was a really cool one. I agree. The first one had had a little bit more street cred. It had a little bit more presence. Yeah, it was just very square. Yeah. Big, big wheels for the era. 6.1 liter V8. Um, it, was, it was kind of like right when they launched the rebirth, the Challenger too, like yeah. the SRT8 Challenger, same kind of era. So I love the 300 SRT8. I think they're they're highly undervalued in today's market. The second gen was okay too. Yeah, the, the second gen was
3: refined by comparison. It was a. In fact, that's the one that your dad and I went and drove. Um, it and it was great in terms of uh, very comfortable. That was right when they introduced the Beats Sound System, Remember yes, that, that whole I thing. I do remember Dr. That. Dre and all. Yeah, so and it had, yeah, you know, it was loud. Um, so it was this loud kind of bolstered car that felt good because everything was comfy, and at the same time, it had a pretty decent ride, but it just didn't handle great. Oh, it was not a, handling not a handle. So this, the first generation had a little, it was a little bit rougher around the edges, but it still has a lot of street uh, You know. It, it sounds cool and it just yeah. kind of looks cool. So I will agree with you on the first generation, but I will not agree on the second generation.
2: All right. I will, I'll take that. I think that the second gen was also, I mean, what the issue with the second gen is they tried to like put a focus on handling. I'm like, this is a sedan that weighs more than a small moon. Like, why are you exactly? And it's just, just, it just the tires it fast weren't wide in a enough, line. the suspension, it it, 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 it's just like you could only
3: do so much. Yeah, with that, you know, and, and we've seen that before with SUVs,
2: and this essentially is the weight of an SUV that they put all the power into the rear wheels. It was massive. Yeah. yeah, huge. But now they're pretty cheap. You can get one for like 10 to 15 grand and lots of fun for a small amount of money. And those big V8s are actually relatively reliable. 6.1s were good, yeah, but they get, uh, I'm just looking right now on like Facebook Marketplace, mm-hmm. they have fallen into the hands of folks that probably modded them in less than tasteful ways.
3: Oh, you think so? And they, where they slammed? <laughs> where they dropped to the ground all of it lots yeah. of red accents everywhere yeah yeah I, i've seen a lot of that and it's, it's typical and, and and any vehicle that'll happen too so same kind of vein what do you think of this one the dodge magnum i was hoping you were going to say that one when you when you mentioned the ctsv wagon the first thing that comes to my mind is the magnum because it really is the only competitor in the american market right um so the thing is, well, what was it? Can you explain what it was? Well, Dodge Magnum essentially is the same platform as what we just talked about—the Chrysler uh, the Charger, the, the Charger, the Challenger, which is all based on an older Mercedes-Benz E platform from a gazillion years ago. <laughs> the same hard points and whatnot. But what happened was, uh, Ralph Yales came along and designed this vehicle, made it look very aggressive. It is a wagon. Um, and it, at one point in time, they advertised it as a wagon that was faster than Lamborghini. Yeah. You remember that? Oh yeah. Um, and it's an unusual wagon because the way the hatch is designed, it goes way back. And so the hinge is nearly mid ship on the thing. So when you open it, it opens huge and it gives you a lot of space. It's not as, um, hmm, subdued looking as the Cadillac CTSV. Yeah. But you could get that big Hemi in there. hmm I believe that they made a few all-wheel drive versions, but I don't know if they were able to squeeze the big Hemi with all-wheel drive maybe or with the, the 5.7. Five five seven. Yeah, maybe it was the 5.7. Um, I, I drove the big one, and it was a huge. <laughs> it's a ridiculously fun vehicle. Com- uh, you know, uh, Very, very good for utility, kind of like the Cadillac. Cadillac is a lot more refined, handled way better. The Cadillac yeah. absolutely outhandled it. But in terms of just a fun vehicle man, those Magnums were
2: fun and really practical, just really crap mileage. Surprisingly expensive now, the SRTs. I think they made so few of the SRT wagons and the Magnums. Uh Uh, All the Magnums are wagons, wagons. but like you see the SRT Chargers, you see the Jeeps, you see the Chryslers, but the Magnums were really rare, so those are expensive. Um, And one thing about all these cars from like the early 2010s and mid-2000s Chrysler is the interiors are so bad.
3: Yes, yes, I will agree. You know, there was a lot of uh, like plasticky stuff going on with the interiors, and it went all throughout this is before they brought in hans uh and essentially he's one of these guys who just magically sprinkled fairy dust and made (laughs) these interiors so much better and now fca now stellantis has some of the best interiors out there in terms of feel quality and look and design um and that was partially because of this guy and some others and the point is is that this was predating this guy and so they were very cheap and chintzy looking, and you could find components right off of the minivans and all that inside these cars.
2: Yeah, they were pretty, pretty badly, uh, yeah, pretty yeah. badly made on the inside. Now, Tommy, before
3: we move on, I do recommend that you refire your Retina scan so it will fire up on the screen behind Thank you. Thank you,
2: I appreciate that. Yeah, and there the it goes. Screen is falling asleep. Yeah. And before we continue, I wanted to bring up something kind of interesting. Yes. So I like to do these this date in history, and today is January 10th. If you're listening to the podcast, you caught okay. it early. Did you know, in January 10th? Um, In 1942. So, what is that? 80 years ago today? It was your dad's high school. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So, okay. Ford signed an agreement to produce 280,000. Jeeps. Uh, Jeeps, exactly, for mm-hmm. World War II. They called them the GPWs, which stood for General Purpose Willys, because ultimately, Willys was awarded the first contract to build the military Jeeps. But not a lot of people know that almost 300,000 of the World War II Jeeps were not made by Willys, but made by Ford. They had a different designation, too. There was like an F
3: somewhere, and some, like maybe in their tag or something. I think it was
2: so GP was like General Purpose, and uh-huh. then the W stood for Willys on uh-huh. the Fords. And the Fords are actually interesting. They're worth typically more than the Willys, um, or... Because I'm going to get the comments, some people say Willis. But if you look at like the uh, the bolt heads on the Fords, they all have the Ford script in them, uh, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, it is kind of interesting. So I
3: didn't I, know that. That one part I didn't know. That's
2: how you distinguish them. Yeah.
3: Yes. Now, uh, just just uh, to throw uh, more uh, fuel on that fire, uh, Ford and Jeep are have sort of reignited <laughs> the the whole love of proper off-road four by four vehicles. Just this year. Yeah. I mean, just this past year, I should say, with the new Bronco coming out and going directly against the Jeep Wrangler. I absolutely love the fact that this is happening. I think you guys do, too.
2: Yeah, it's pretty interesting. So after the war, of course, they continued making essentially the same design. Um, Willys or Willis produced it under the name CJ, which stood for a civilian jeep. Mm-hmm. And then that became the CJ2, the CJ2A, and then the 3, the 5, the 7, and then and the then Wrangler. Wrangler. And now we've got Wrangler versus Bronco, and we're back in the action. Well, are we in like the 7th generation of Wrangler,
3: technically, or 6th generation? It
2: was YJ uh, first, TJ JKJ, a fourth of Wrangler of the name Wrangler. Yeah. And so this
3: and it's just gonna get better. I'm really excited about this. I love off-roading, and so this the idea of more people coming to play is better for the consumer. So let's continue. Speaking of consumers, and let's find out
2: what other turkeys uh, he's fried (laughs) up here. So this one was one, I don't know if I agree with this, but my dad wanted this on this list. And I think you drove this car, and it only sold in two markets. It's made by Ford and it is the Flex. (laughs)
3: <laughs> Do you remember the
2: Flex? It was like, of a, course, I remember like the a flex.
3: Beach going actually, thing. <laughs> the very first video your dad and I did together as a collaboration. This is back when I was working for V Hicks and some other, uh, you know, V Hicks. Yeah, Never they're gone. Back. Anyway, um, your dad and I got together right when they introduced the Ford Flex. That was one of the first EcoBoost examples out there, and it was a rocket. I mean, it was really, really fast. We were really surprised by it, and they actually had an event up here in Colorado. And that's where your dad and I went and drove one around and did a little video on it, I think. And there's good and bad. Ford Flex is essentially the same platform that you have in at the time, the Ford Taurus and also the Ford Explorer. They all had this front-wheel drive bias design. It was all the same or very similar platform. And the Flex, the whole purpose of it was sort of to come up with a wagon that could basically do what a crossover SUV does, but with a low roof line kind of looking cool. That oh, was their point.
2: Okay. That's interesting. And they failed. <laughs>
3: they failed? Yeah, I, I really disliked the design oh. because it wasn't as utilitarian as, say, the, the... the It was even more expensive at one point in time than the equivalent Ford, um, you know, SUV. So it didn't make a lot of sense to me there. And then in terms of handling, it didn't handle that great either. It, it was okay. It was off the line. It was quick, but it just didn't corner very well. And to me, it was like, okay, so the Taurus X, which predated it, and then the... 500 and what did they called it they had another name for the taurus the freestyle wagon. yeah freestyle that was it yeah. so they had these that kind of predated it and those i get it they, they were kind of like well this, this is a wagon but it kind of looks like a crossover we'll call it a crossover nope they didn't even bother calling the flex a wagon they just said it was this multi-utility machine or whatever it just it, if you look at them and have a very low roof line and for the price and for what it was and also the fact that it had really low ground clearance and I got stuck really bad in the snow driving one of those around, and then I drove its Lincoln brother, and I got even more stuck in one of those too <laughs> in the snow. They, they were just too low to the ground, so I, I'm not a big fan of them personally, and I honestly don't think much of them.
2: What about what about like the the, the surf going design with that you know very long kind of low look, the panel van almost design?
3: Had they actually put wood panel on the side, I might have actually fallen <laughs> in love with it. They had the right the white roof, so they were like halfway there, but it seems like a committee came in halfway through the design and said, "Uh, oh, got to stop. The interior was
2: remarkably boring. The three, yeah, it was pretty boring inside. Lots of room in the third row, if I remember right. Uh, Well, yeah, but not great headroom. Mm. It it was like a wagon, but a low wagon. They did have these kind of like cool slits along the side. Yeah, And I actually had an interesting conversation. Apparently Ford only sold these in two markets, and the two markets they sold extremely well in and didn't sell anywhere else was Detroit and Los Angeles. It was the only two places people bought flexes. I did not know that. Yeah, and actually, I do know somebody in Los Angeles who bought one against my
3: uh, advice, and uh, she promptly detonated the engine. <laughs> <for> her fault, <laughs> I think. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, you know, it's 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 a fair. <clears throat> so one of the benefits of having a station wagon is that you have a low roof, so you have access to the roof, and also you don't have to climb up into it, which is great. Yeah, oh yeah. So those are benefits. The negative parts are, if you're actually buying something, because it did have all-wheel drive, I believe, as an option all the way through its life, the vehicle just did terribly on even mildly rough roads Mm -hmm. because it just didn't have the ground clearance. So it made more sense to get an Explorer, which essentially
2: was the same vehicle. They built them for a long time, so 2009 through 2019 model years, um, assembled in Ontario, Canada.
3: Yeah, and very little change, I believe, throughout the entire run. They may have had... (sighs) A different engine, like the updated uh, Yeah, they didn't launch with the
2: EcoBoost, but then they got the EcoBoost eventually, I think is how that worked.
3: Yeah, and I think actually, yeah, there were a couple. Anyway, the point is, is that I I really didn't think much of that vehicle, and I don't really think of it as something that
2: really should be aimed for. Okay, so so that's a no-go. That's a no, sorry. All right, next up, and I think that this one is going to be agreed upon. Um, I I just have the word, the Genesis brand, and then all the cars, underappreciated. (laughs) Wow,
3: yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, You know, there's a very interesting thing a lot of people don't realize that Genesis could have happened a lot earlier than it did and should have probably. Uh, a long time ago, uh, Hyundai did bring in the Equus into the United States and the Equus was this fantastic big sedan, luxury, luxury vehicle. Um the exterior was ugly. I simply put, it was yeah. just ugly. It was ugly. But essentially it was sort of the first genesis, because it was the first time that Hyundai attempted to show what they could do in terms of engineering and luxury selling here in the United States. And the car didn't sell. Um I don't know how many they sold, but it wasn't very many. And they only brought in a few. But I think it started getting some people into the idea that Hyundai could do a lot more. And then a little bit later on, they brought out their Genesis. Now, it was just still a Hyundai Genesis as opposed to the name itself. And that should have been its own brand. Um, I think that in time, one of the things that's happened with Genesis is that they brought in every single half decent if not extraordinary designer (laughs) right yeah an engineer out of european firms and and some asian firms as well and stuck them in with probably a damn fat envelope of cash into the, the hyundai family and built genesis that's how they should have done it in the first place they had the cash to do it they waited i think a little too long but they followed some of the recipe that lexus did with toyota and now they're winning awards left and right, and for a damn good reason, they build amazing cars.
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, I actually had the, the Hyundai Genesis on here too, which was the first launch. A fantastic car, right? Yeah, it was great. It, it was like 90% of like a three series or a five series mm-hmm. for 60% of the price. Fantastic, you get it with a five liter V8. Love the Hyundai Genesis. I like the coupe even, remember the, 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 the Hyundai? Coupe? Coupe, yeah, the Genesis coupe was a funny thing because you could get
3: it in a couple different
2: flavors. Yeah, it was like a V6, <laughs> there's a four cylinder turbo, right.
3: there's a manual. Your dad and I had one that we did an early video on and um, man, that thing really needed the limited slip rear diff because we just roasted <laughs> the right rear tire tires. It was, it was crazy. Um, but for a driver, actually, it was a pretty good driver's car, and it was a really good alternative to at the time the three hundred and seventy. Well, actually, three hundred and fifty, and then later the three hundred and seventy Z, and it kind of filtered in that whole era because it really did compete with it. I would say that Hyundai should have kept something like that, and now you're seeing sort of the revision of it now with the whole N thing coming out. Could you imagine one of those surviving and becoming an N? Yeah, like, it
2: that would have be been a cool. Beast. Yeah, I mean, I know I've heard that. The current head of, like, the N program, Albert Biermann, who came mm. from the BMW M division. Right. I've heard that he hated the Genesis Coupe. Like, he hated it. Yeah. Uh, but I thought it was a fun car. manual transmission. And then when you look at the full Genesis line, I've only driven, I think, two. The GV80, which is like the X5 competitor. Yes. And then the G90, which is the 7 I thought series. you drove
3: the GV70, too.
2: I, uh, I wasn't here for that. I think I oh, drove that. you missed out. But I heard that thing was amazing. And... I think it was a good idea for them to break it off as its own brand because people I agree 100%. people weren't going to spend seventy grand next to someone buying an Elantra. Yeah, um, but I still think that they are insanely underappreciated cars.
3: They are underappreciated. One of the problems they're also having is that brand recognition because they don't really have dealerships. It's a whole long story about everything going online and everything else. Um, and I agree that you can't have one of those on the same dealership lot as a Hyundai Accent.
2: You can't. Yeah, and it's like it's frustrating. I mean, there's like there's a Genesis dealer somewhere in Denver, mm-hmm. but it's so far away that I don't know if I could realistically bite the bullet and buy one compared to like a Lexus which has 3 dealers super close to us. Right. So that's a tricky thing.
3: Over time they will expand. I mean, they are getting accolades for their build quality and for their design and performance, and rightfully so. So hopefully they'll be able to start injecting more money into the dealerships and perhaps have more service dealerships that are available. And they are going to be moving to a lot of electric vehicles in the near future. I think they may actually may beat uh, Lexus to the punch on that. They're being very smart about their design. And I've loved everyone I've driven. Yeah, there's been minor details. Like some of the back seats aren't very big in my case, or perhaps the trunk's a little small, or maybe the design, like certain steering wheels I don't like. But they're all really minor issues with what is an outstanding
2: car. I agree. Yeah, completely. Okay. So moving on from Genesis to Honda, um, <laughs> we'll see if you agree on this one. I thought this was a cool car, all wheel drive. It was a little weird to look at, but pretty usable for what it was. The Honda Crosstour. Oh no, no! Hey, I no. thought we were going to say Element, and I was going to be like, "Oh yeah, me, hey, <laughs> You're so you're
3: such a great kid." No, damn it! The Cross no, Tour, no, really? Don't God. like the Cross Tour. Well, the Cross Tour, for one thing, it was based on very similar bones to the ZDX, which I also abhor. And the thing <laughs> is, is that the roof line was terrible. It, another thing that was very interesting about that vehicle: it looks really big, and it actually is a fairly sizable vehicle on the outside. But unlike everything else Honda does, where they do such magnificent things with with, uh, packaging, right, and room, this had the opposite. So when you open (laughs) the trunk, you have these two massive uh, sections where the uh, towers for the suspension protrude directly into the cargo area. And so when you want to put a bike or something like that in there, you have to kind of go around these things. And it takes the utility and drops it down a notch. You actually have more usable space, usable space, that is. Inside a Honda Fit,
2: I oh, kid you not. Wow, that's a bold move. No, yeah,
3: I'm i I'm, I'm quite serious about that. <laughs> uh, we did a video four years ago, three years ago, where we put a bunch of tires inside a Honda Fit, and they and hence they fit with two driver, a driver and a passenger. I'm pretty sure that it would be almost equal to the. The Honda that you mentioned that I don't
2: want to talk about. Well, I mean, it's, it's like Voldemort among Hondas. It's related to the Accord, which is a good platform. It's got a pretty strong V6. The 3.5 V6 was pretty good. They had like pre-facelift and post-facelift a little. I, I do think you're right. I mean, it wasn't like a wagon, right? It didn't have the usability of a wagon. No, but it did you think it looks cool? No. Like, it, oh, not at all. No, no
3: um, you know, the all funny right. thing is, is that they they lifted it. And you'd think, oh, okay, I think it had a, almost, around nine inches of ground clearance or eight, eight it and a half inches. something. Yeah, for what it was. But yeah. the overhangs <laughs> up front and the back were horrible. So I took one of those off-road. We actually, were, I was going to take it up to Left Hand Canyon. We were still using that at the time when we were using this car. I didn't have the time to make it up there. So I went to a different place where they had some minor little lifts, you know, some, some ruts. And I kept just bottoming out in the front end. And then finally, like the departure angle was dreadful. And it's like this is not a vehicle that you should be taking off road <laughs> at all. But then I also noticed that sight sightlines were really poor, and that's the design of the vehicle. Same with the ZDX. Wow, you really don't like this. Nah, I didn't like it at all. <laughs> I didn't like it because I knew Honda could do better. And uh, you know, I'm driving around elements, which are just really weird, funky, cool vehicles. So you would you put the element? Hell on the yeah, I love the element. The element was just so cool. It had problems too. It really needed more ground clearance, and it would have been nice to have a seat. So three people could go in the back as opposed to just two. But a buddy of mine put his 600cc motorcycle inside of one. Cut. Yeah, we actually drove it uh, quite a distance. Um, and it, it was fine. Uh, dog kennels fit in there. You could wash out the floor. Just a smart, really weird, funky design. I really think Honda was onto something with that. But in terms of... Uh,
2: All right, hard no on the cross tour here. Yeah, cross tours is no bueno. Now, the reason I didn't put the elements on the list is because I forgot it existed. So that's <laughs> why that isn't on the
3: list. And they actually sold okay for a while. And you could get a manual with those too.
2: I really thought rare. The first element was really cool with like the black plastic. Bowlers. Yeah, I agree. It was
3: really cool. I didn't think that the second one was as neat. I too. didn't like the painted panels either, frankly. Um, it's inter- It was an interesting car. It's one that I just. I would own one if I had a reason to have a funky weird car. You know, the seating position was really good in those. Really, really good. Yeah, it was like sitting at home on a sofa, very upright. It was cool.
2: All right, so I will give you the element. I think that's a better choice. Moving on from H to uh, J. So we talked about Hyundai, the Genesis. Um, I think, and this is actually a current car, one of the few current cars on the list, the Jaguar I-Pace, the electric Jaguar, is a really cool car that nobody buys. It's, I mean, I understand why they don't buy it because it's really expensive mm-hmm. and the range isn't as good as like a Tesla. Yeah. But really a very cool piece of engineering, decently quick. It looks very neat. Um, it's okay off-road. My dad actually took it off-road. Yeah. I like the eyepiece pace a lot. I agree
3: with you 100%. Wow.
2: that uh, I, I only drove one once um, and it was a pretty limited
3: drive. And had, it, had Jaguar figured out a way to, to add another, say, 20 miles 30 miles yeah to really make it much more competitive i think it would have sold a lot more it's a really compelling car and here's a funny thing about it you know a lot of people are like oh my god it's an electric vehicle and it's british the whole thing about (laughs) british electric come on dude you own like 19 british cars that's true yeah Yeah, you know it's a little scary but the other side of it is the tech itself is solid So far, I haven't heard of any major issues with those vehicles either and I really do believe that they are truly undervalued Um, and it's a shame because I think that they handle great and they have some presence. They yes. do. I think they look cool. Uh, they're, um, there are so many Teslas on the ground. They all remind me of
2: like electric shavers or whatever. And granted, like 80-some thousand dollars, a lot of money. But um, at least before the market blew up, there were huge discounts on them. Yes. Dealers were really working to, to move them. Yes, they them were. Out. So you could get really good deals on them. And I just love them. I think they're really cool. Had they just had like a solid 300-mile I know, range, with the two, you know what I mean? whatever, 250 or whatever it was, just, 240. It just a
3: little bit more range would have made those things sell like hotcakes. I think. And well, they needed to charge a little faster, too. Yeah, yeah. Was it seven or no? Uh, it, doesn't it was. Matter. It
2: was okay. Okay. Next Jaguar. I think you're not going to agree with me on this one. Mm-hmm. Highly underrated Jaguar. I would say the most underrated Jaguar. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Oh no no no. Oh yes. I, oh, oh yes. Oh no not. Your dad had one right. Oh yes. Oh god. Here we go. Fantastic car, the Jaguar X Type. You mean the Ford Mondeo? If, yes, I get it. The Ford Mondeo. That's true. It's a Ford Mondeo. But but. Fantastic interior, lots of leather. I mean, lots and lots of leather. It had Ford reliability, which doesn't sound like much, but compared to Jaguar at the time, that was a great thing. Standard all-wheel drive, manual transmission. They did it in a wagon. What is the not wagon the wagon
3: ver- Okay, no, I, the wagon version. I might, I might be tempted
2: on. <laughs> they, they built like 30 of them. Yeah, they, way, yeah so you like better, none of them. There's like two looking. that were
3: sold in the states. Um, no, I'm sorry. What, I can't, what's I can't, wrong with the X Type? I can't there how do I put it? It's not even a question of badge engineering and whatnot it really is a sheep and wolf's clothing <laughs> Sheep and wolf's clothing It's exactly the opposite of what I consider a Jaguar. When I want British engineering I want British engineering that means that straight six of E6 I don't care what it is I want it to come out of Coventry or something like that. I want it to come out of a British place. And they put it into a British car. When they basically are taking a German European Ford and making it look a lot like a Jaguar, I'll give them credit.
2: Um, it's not. It's <laughs> not. They they did definitely go crazy with the. the it's got the quad headlights, right? Very. It,
3: it looks like a Jaguar, and I give them all the credit. When I first saw it, before I knew what it was, I was going
2: crazy. This is what, well, what, like, when did those come out? Those came out like in. Two thousand and three or something. Oh three, I yeah, thought it was even earlier. It was pretty early, maybe oh two. Yeah. Um. The the X type though, right? It was based in the Mondeo and that, always got Mondeo underneath. Yeah. But the, like it was a European Mondeo, which was better than like our Fusion, right? It was a fun car to drive. I guess.
3: The uh, okay. I did drive one. I did drive one. Two
2: thousand one. You're right. Yeah. Okay. So.
3: And I I didn't hate it. I wasn't really comfortable. I'm surprised your dad found them comfortable. I, I really didn't like the way the leg room was set up and all that. And it was a little bit short for me, too. But it, it's just not... When you know it's really fake, I mean, it is really fake. When you know how fake it truly is, <laughs> it kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth. And I cannot recommend a car like that because... I would rather recommend an actual Jaguar. Yes, it runs like crap, but uh, it has a proper Jaguar
2: feel to it. I distinctly remember, my dad bought one in like 2004, so I was like seven years old. Mm -hmm. I remember going to the dealer. I was really into cars when I was seven. I'm very excited, it was bright red. And um, I distinctly remember, and I still think that my memory is right, if you wanted the sport trim, Mm-hmm. which got you the manual transmission. It got you the manual transmission, they they like they, they blacked out all the chrome so it had a cool look, but you could only get the sport trim in the smaller 2.5-liter yes, engine. Yes. And that was a really stupid idea. And
3: I wondered about that and I got an answer, not from an official Ford guy, but like an inside Ford guy. Okay. And the reason why was to make sure that vehicle maintained reliability. That was one of the issues that they wanted to do with this because the reliability index of Jaguar when Ford came along, was abysmal it was one of the worst in the industry and Ford lifted them up oh yeah but by putting the less powerful powertrain in there with the manual transmission you were able to make it last a little bit longer the clutch would last longer everything would last a little bit longer now this is just what was told to me uh, not from an official Ford person it makes a little bit of sense but it was also really anemic I mean, well, that... Yeah, I was like
2: 190 horsepower.
3: It wasn't enough. That car was really heavy. So, no on the X-Type? No, I'm sorry. I know your dad's <laughs> going to be like trying to get a flight back here now. How dared you? But I really, it just, it felt like such a fake.
2: What about... It, it was an impersonator. I-Pace? Good on the eye pace
3: Yes, I'm great I- on the eye pace And that's a Jaguar. I, yeah, I know a lot of uh, European and uh, Asian uh, engineering underneath, actually, from a variety of different companies. But it feels like a Jaguar, and it is a Jaguar. So we have about
2: 15 minutes left. I've got a few more we're going to crank through. Yes. Okay. Starting with Kia, the K900, and the Cadenza. <sighs> Remember the K900 and the Cadenza. So this was Kia's attempted luxury Mm -hmm. car. Um, Very, very luxurious. They didn't... I mean, at one point, I saw the K900 sales numbers, like, in triple digits. Like, uh, under a few hundred. Yeah, like... Two hundred and fifty or something. Yeah, old, it, was, it was. It was really, a really weird bad. choice to even bring it over. Well, really it's a bad name. The, yeah, K nine hundred. Yeah. In Korea, it was called the K nine. But for the American <laughs> market, they were worried about the dog connection, so they the. Yeah, a, <laughs> a bunch
3: of nasty stuff about that. You know, it's a funny thing. I, I've driven both, uh, and I actually went to the Cadenza event when they actually updated it. It's a great car. Fantastic. A really, really good Very car. Very comfy. Very comfortable on the inside. Handled fine. There was, a, but it. It was nothing special. The K900 is actually a little bit special. had a really big back seat, had a very comfortable ride to it. In fact, I think they had a LeBron James commercial with that thing. Did they? Yeah. But And all of that went away when they brought out the Stinger, uh, That which is another really underrated car. But Oh, that it, would have been a good one, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I would have voted for that. I will not vote for the K900 because it just didn't have a place in the United States. Okay. But I will vote for the Cadenza because the Cadenza is one of those cars that... Really nobody paid attention to and I think a lot of people who went out and bought for the equivalent price a American and or Japanese vehicle or a really cheap version of a German vehicle They could have had all the luxury they wanted all the amenities They wanted in a fairly reliable package that had a 10-year 100,000 more mile warranty
2: K900 was just crazy because it was like massive huge it's a big car. It was monstrous. Yeah. yeah, and I thought it was nowadays. I'm sure you could find them if you could get one for pretty cheap. Quite reliable. So I put both of those on the list. So no on the K900. Yes on the Cadenza. Yeah. Straight on to Land Rover. This is an interesting one. Okay. Mid 2000s. LR2. Remember the little oh, one that's yeah. kind of like the Escape? These, by the way, this is interesting. If you look at like used Landover prices, obviously they're just right in the toilet, right? Like right. an LR3 was like a $6,000 car um, nowadays. But an LR2, for some reason, like a nine dollars or $10,000 car. People love the little, based on like the Escape, I Yeah, think, I was about to
3: say, didn't it have some components from the Escape? It had essentially an EcoBoost. Yeah, but people love the LR2s. Yeah, they were OK. I took, I had one. I didn't fit very well in it. I remember that, you know, and I'm not that big, but it was, I just wasn't that comfortable in it didn't like the way it performed uh i liked the way it looked i thought it was a really good looking vehicle
2: yeah i mean no low range but it had um like terrain modes for mm-hmm. off-road it had nice leather seats it had a little screen in it which was pretty cool i think they're good looking cars reasonably off-roady and just overall, pretty good little 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 design. You know what sucks? What I could get a Subaru uh,
3: Forester and completely outperform it in almost every Yeah, but it's not a way. Land Rover. It doesn't have a turbo engine and the <laughs> mystique of the British brand. I I will give it that, but I, th- I wouldn't choose it at all. I, no, I, no. Uh, I would stay away with from that.
2: Nathan, there are other there are other Land Rover products I would take way over that. The other thing about the LR2s is they did have some turbo issues, but they were for the most part, as you look at mid-2000s, early 2010 Land Rovers, quite reliable. Did they replace the Freelander a Freeloader? Yes. Free, free... The Freelander was a garbage pile with the LR2. That's right.
3: Yeah. Okay. And they did have convertible version of the Freeloader. The, the
2: Freelander. Yes. <laughs> yes, they did do a convertible Freelander. That's true. Yeah. Okay. So that was a, a no-go on the LR2. No. Lexus CT200H. Remember the little hatchback? Okay, hybrid. I'm glad you mentioned that one and not the other one that will be
3: remain unnamed because no, they. were the HF? Huh? I think it was a. Pilot. I was worried that you were going to say that. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I loved that little CT. The CT was interesting because it was actually based on the um, Toyota uh, TC slash Scion TC platform, and it was a very fun car to drive that had no horsepower. Yes, it was slow. It was very slow, but it handled well. And it was also the first Lexus to bring back red for many, many, many years because they actually got rid of red. Oh, yeah? And that was one of the first... Yeah, I remember that was like their, they sent us a whole in the CT? on it. Oh. Yep, on the CT. They had like this crazy yellow. Do you remember the yellow yes, one? Yes, they had a bright yellow. Yeah. That was right before they phased them out. And they were on a really old platform. And essentially, you know, Prius running gear, you
2: know, underneath. Yeah, uh, but, I mean, it was... <sighs> I think that you're right in that what they were going for was like a sporty little hatchback, mm-hmm. but then they make it a hybrid. It was like the Honda CR Z <laughs> issue, where like you're, you're trying to promote the sportiness, and then it's like, but it's got a hybrid powertrain with 200 horsepower, or whatever.
3: But I guarantee you they're still on the road and they're still running really good, unless they've been crunched, you know, uh, in terms of accidents. Not that you're going to get in many with the car that slow. Sorry, 134 horsepower. <laughs> yeah, it needed another 100 really to make it look as fast as it looked, or to make it perform as fast as it looked.
2: Because they looked quick, didn't they? Yeah, insanely. Reliable, very yes. reliable, very well made, pretty comfortable, mm, very small interior. Very small interior, but but I will, uh, yeah,
3: straight off the bat, I'm gonna agree with you that that is a very interesting car. Its cousin, no,
2: the HF was no, nope, yeah, we can't even cousin. mention that here. Okay, right, well, we'll move, we'll move on from the CT to a car you owned. Oh, no, wow, I've owned a lot of oh, cars. Oh, you owned a lot of cars, so but I irritating. thought this thing was cool. One of the only vehicles in its class with a manual transmission, the Mazda 5. The Mazda Five is an interesting vehicle, um, one that I'm not
3: going to necessarily agree with. Though. Really, yeah. a
2: manual transmission yeah. minivan? I'm yeah, not yeah. going to agree. It with is me? the only
3: manual transmission minivan that was built and sold here in the United States for years and years. There were some other ones prior to that, but essentially, this vehicle wasn't really a minivan. It was essentially a large hatchback with sliding doors yeah. that had a third row, a tiny third row, but it was a Mazda three underneath, right. and it was a little underpowered um it they kind of tried to play it off as like a multi-purpose vehicle and say that it could actually be something in the snow look i live in snow country and that thing wasn't brilliant in the snow it was okay <laughs> it was very low to the ground um they they were really good utility uh, utility vehicles or utilitarian i should say um in that respect very good great vehicle in that respect but in terms of it being a vehicle worthy of a five-speed manual or a six-speed, I think later on. Uh, no, it, really? It, yeah, they were so Wasn't slow. Wasn't it fun to drive though? Wasn't it yeah, like handle well and, and- handle? They're not really. It was. It was. Kind of like driving a heavy Mazda 3. Uh-huh. That was overtaxed. So up here, at least in Colorado, that thing was wheezing all the time. We were constantly roasting third gear trying to get up and over the pass. We drove that thing back and forth from Colorado to California about a half a dozen times. Yeah, And my wife beat the hell out of it. So it was a pretty sturdy vehicle to put up with her. Um, so there's a lot of good... Yeah, I'm, I'm on the fence. I think I'll agree because it's it's kind of undervalued for what it is yeah which is something that has a little tiny bit of fun even though it really is a you know mom and dad vehicle taking kids to the soccer
2: all right match or all right yeah. yeah i okay. think i think it's just funky so that's why i put it on the list yeah um mercedes i put station wagons mercedes is one of the few companies that are still devoted to station thank wagons, god especially luxury ones yes like uh, you can get uh, an e-class wagon um of course they're legendary for their amg wagons which they yes. have done for a lot of years so that's that's on the list Agreed. Oh yeah, yeah. I, Highly under yeah. underappreciated. Yeah, really
3: underappreciated. I really wish more Americans would realize that they're just
2: better. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So going to Mini, I've got the Roadster, which was a two seater convertible. <laughs> oh God. You remember the Roadster? Oh, yes, I do. It did ride like a cabbage cart. Oh but my God. Pretty, pretty um remarkable thing now because they're very rare. Um, of course you can get a Mini convertible, but those are always four seaters. The Roadster and the Coupe were two seaters. Underappreciated or not?
3: They made no sense. No sense whatsoever. Because <laughs> you didn't get any real performance gains out of them. You nope. just lost ride and handling, essentially. Um, Roman and I had driven both of those. I think maybe you did too. You, you may yeah, have I driven, drove one. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the coupe, the whole thing with the German it's just like having a baseball cap on backwards. It That's did. Why it's it had the like, little visor in the back. It was ridiculous. It was a terribly riding vehicle that had no. It went from being a mini, which minis are cool because you could actually use them for a little bit of utility. and You could hold some people, do some stuff with them. And then they just took that away and said, oh, but this is better. It's not. It was no better. And <laughs> both the convertible and the Roadster version of it, or sorry, the Roadster version and the hardtop, no bueno, none. I mean, Especially when you can get a regular mini convertible or a regular Mini Cooper. They made so much more sense. These two made no sense. They don't deserve to
2: even be remembered. In fact, I want you to forget everything you've just heard. I'm so, waving my
3: two fingers like a Jedi right now. So
2: the cool, the cool spoilers, the the uh, the lift off spoiler on the coupe. Those automatic. Oh, movies. dude, it's lifting up. Watch as it lifts. It's so British. No, bueno. All right, bad. All right, I think they're cool because they're yeah, just rare not, two-seater I can't, and two seater. No. All right, all right, all right. Nissan, third generation Pathfinder. You've owned one or two of them. <laughs> what do you think? Underrated. Everyone talks about um, forerunners, and they talk about sequoias, and everyone, no one talks about the passenger. Yeah, it's
3: it's almost unfair um, for me because I, I am going to back this up 100%. And the reason why is because you're getting a lot of quality and strength out of a vehicle that eventually was replaced with a station wagon. This was a truck, had a truck frame. It had an independent rear suspension, unlike the other ones, but it could still tow between five and 7,000 pounds. You could get a V8 with them. Oh yeah. Yeah, oh, which was cool. awesome. You, the, but the four liter V6, the one I had was great. There's even manual versions of these vehicles running around. Yes. And, and this is
2: pre-CVT, by the way. This is like oh like yes, trucky. yeah. This is back in the good days.
3: Now there <laughs> were some issues. Some of the quality was a little weird. Uh, Transmissions sometimes had a little bit of an issue. I had to put, about $1,000 into the transmission to get it right. But other than the transmission, I really didn't have to do much with that vehicle. and I drove the crap out of it, really beat it up, and it was uh, such a reliable, reliable vehicle, until my daughter got crunched in it. Fortunately, she was fine with her friends, but the rear crumple zone was completely tested. So to speak, this vehicle is something that is, for those of you who tow or want a solid alternative to a um, Toyota 4Runner or something in that elk, this is a great choice it's a good good truck
2: so third gen pathfinder yes worth it yep i agree low range very cool yeah um suzuki sx4 yeah i love those
3: the little teeny but but there's a caveat okay okay there's a caveat okay the sx4 for those of you don't know is a small hatchback that's kind of a crossover and it was early days crossovers when not many people had them this thing is smaller than a rav4 oh yeah but it had a really good size interior it's kind of a bubble and (laughs) it was a bubble it was and it had a real brilliant all-wheel drive system especially if you got it with a stick later on they came along with the CVT a continuously variable transmission not a very good one that they brought in either and it turned it into a dog but your dad and I at least agreed that it was a great little car I almost bought one of those to, to, to just to have a little runabout and it would have been a lot of fun, but also parts are kind of hard to come by. It's just a kind of cool, different car. And I've seen a few of them out there on the net for three or $4,000 with some reasonable miles on them. And honestly, they're just solid, simple, cool little cars with a great
2: all-wheel drive system. So don't get the sedan because the sedan was kind of... Grummy. Oh, the sedan? I... The sedan was kind
3: of crap, but they did have a manual version of the sedan, but it was only front wheel drive, I think.
2: There may have been. That does oh, sound or, right. Yeah. yeah, and then
3: later on, the, the, the Kazashki came
2: along and, and replaced it. Ugh, but the SX4, great little off roader for what it was. Yeah, it did great. I mean, it was, if that car had been around today, it would be selling a bajillion of them. Because it was like the Renegade, it was like all these little tiny um, uh, crossovers before they existed.
3: That's exactly it. And, and, and it had pretty good ground clearance, but not crazy. Crazy. It was probably like six and a half inches or so, but it just all the angles of it were right, and it just ran
2: good, and it was comfortable, and, and just a really solid little car. Do you agree with me? On yes, hundred percent. All right, moving to Toyota. Mm-hmm. and this one is a brand new car and usually toyotas aren't underappreciated people know what they are yeah. but i think the most underappreciated toyota in the market today is the new sienna everybody has to go out and buy a highlander or an suv or a rav4 but the sienna standard hybrid great fuel economy you can get an all-wheel drive it's a great car or a great van
3: i'm going to agree with you as long as it's the all-wheel drive version yeah I got to get the yeah, all-wheel drive yeah because otherwise it doesn't make that much i don't know it they're a little rough around the edges Honda has them beat in terms of fun and performance and then I would say that Chrysler has them beat in terms of comfort and interior styling. Okay. The Toyota is a solid choice and the mileage, I drove one of these for a week and I drove it hard. I don't drive cars lightly and i kept getting like 30 and 40 miles per gallon i'm like "Ah, i'm hammering it come on i can do worse nope (laughs) nope and the all-wheel drive system it's not brilliant tommy's tested this all-wheel drive system in a variety of different vehicles yeah it's fine yeah it it does the basics i got it on a hill it got a little out of shape rear end finally kicked in and moved it forward toyota needs to make their all-wheel drive system with the hybrids which is by the way completely unique because it's just an electric motor powering the rear wheels They need to make it a little bit more um, aggressive and hopefully if they can manage to do that, perhaps this will be even a better system. But it's a really solid van and it's the only other one you can get in the States next to the Chrysler that has all-wheel drive.
2: Okay, before I go to the last brand, do you miss Scion at all?
3: Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, any underappreciated cars in the Scion? Yeah, Yeah, the TC. The Scion TC is one of the best cars in this class. I remember we brought one over and at the same time compared it to the original 86 the frs the frs Oh yeah, and it was faster than the frs (laughs) it was it was quicker it didn't handle better it handled almost as good though even though it was a front wheel drive car the cool thing about the um tc is that it's technically a hatchback even though it looks like it's a coupe it holds a lot of stuff the back seats are half comfortable it rides nice uh the manual transmission version of it there's a kit to make it throw a little bit less ridiculous but in terms of its overall packaging, it was such a brilliant little car, and it's one that really deserved to get more accolades because it really was that good.
2: All right, I agree. TC undervalued. I mean, it wasn't like as dynamic as the FRS, right? It wasn't. No, as good the no, 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 no. You, you couldn't drift with it or anything like
3: that, obviously. But, um, but actually, a lot of the Scions, like the XB, the especially the original XB. The Xbox? Yeah, I remember, yeah. it was cool, those, those I like things. Things. People love them, kids love buying them now and still
2: them. It's expensive, by the way, by the way. Yeah,
3: I'm not surprised, people and they still run. It.
2: Yeah, yeah. But they had like,
3: what, 90 horsepower?
2: Oh, it was ridiculous. You know, they were pretty slow, they were based on, yeah. yeah. But people love the XB. And that brings me to Volkswagen. I have uh, three for, for Volkswagen. Okay, hit it. First up, the last generation Touareg, Fantastic car, yes. very expensive. Okay. but yeah, extremely expensive. Easily a BMW Mercedes competitor, mm-hmm. it was a great car. Yeah. The eGolf. Underrated car. The last version of it had 125 miles range. Very reliable. Super fun to drive. We had one as a long-termer for a while. I like the yeah, e-golf. Yeah, that was pretty good. I didn't mind that so much. It had a good, good power. And then finally, I've got... The Volkswagen Alltrack, which was a lifted Volkswagen Golf Wagon. Uh, why do you got to do me like this? Nathan's wife almost bought one. Oh,
3: We were this. just talking about this. Yeah. We were so close to buying one. It was between that and the Mini, and it was a little bit more expensive than the Mini because it was a little bit newer. And it had a little bit more space, a little bit more utility. It was a manual. You could get a manual transmission. Oh, yeah. And my wife, I think based on cuteness and the fact that she wanted to frustrate me even further, decided <laughs> to get the, the Mini. I don't regret it. The Mini has been really good to her. She loves it. But this would have been an excellent alternative. Yeah. Um, so, yes, definitely on the all track. And there's a lot of people out there who are only now appreciating them and trying to find them now that they're no longer being sold. Really, really good car. Um, and then the Golf well, you know, the thing about the Golf E is that Unlike a lot of the competitors out there that have a platform that is specifically built as an electric vehicle. Yeah, it was converted. It was converted. And as such, I think they lost a lot when they had to convert it over for weight and everything else. Imagine if they had started from the ground up like they did with the four.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was a little compromise there, but it was pretty affordable. You got a heat pump, pretty good range, 125 for the price was okay. It had yeah. fast charging, which was pretty good. Yeah, that and was good. It was just really fun to drive. It was one of the few really fun to drive electric cars because yeah. it was a Golf and all Golfs are fun to drive. Yeah,
3: it, it, I mean, I remember throwing it through some corners, and it handled a lot more like a Golf than it did on an electric car, that's
2: for sure. Totally. Yeah. So, whew, what a marathon, Nathan. Yeah, and I'm going to agree on all three of your picks for Volkswagen. Okay, good. So, I think that the big contentious ones, um, are you still a no on the ZDX? I didn't change my mind in the past (laughs) 45 minutes. ELR still a no? Dear God, no. And cross tour right out? Oh, please no. All right, well, it was worth a shot, guys. Let us know what you think in the comment section below. Did we miss any underappreciated cars?
3: I think we did. Please let us know in the comments below. Thank you so much for watching. We appreciate
2: it. And we'll see you in the next episode. Cheers.